Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to this episode of La Liga Lowdown. The international break is over and club football is back. So we're ready to delve into the action from match day six of the 2020-2021 La Liga season. As always, I'm your host, Jim McTeer. And as always, we're rebroadcast on Sirius XMFC 157. But not everything was as always this weekend because Real Madrid and Barcelona both lost and neither managed to even score a goal. That hadn't happened with the big two on the same day since May 6th in the year 2000. But I don't want to dwell on who didn't win. In this episode, I'm going to try really hard not to always refer to these two results as Real Madrid and Barcelona defeats. Instead, I want to call them Cadiz and Hetafe wins. Because that's what they are. On Saturday afternoon, Cadiz defeated Real Madrid 1-0 away from home. Then on Saturday night, Hitafi beat Barcelona at home by the same scoreline. So let's get into it. Let's start with Cadiz and let's do so with La Liga Lowdown's own Alex Brotherton, who wrote an article about the newly promoted side on LaLigaLowdown.com this week. It's well worth checking out. It's called Cadiz, a city and club laughing through pain. Now, Alex, when you wrote your article this week, did did you think they were about to beat Real Madrid when you wrote it? Well, Ewan, I'm, I wish I could stand here and pretend that I had psychic powers, but to be honest with you, I don't think anyone expected uh, Cadiz to beat Real Madrid this weekend. Not even the Cadiz fans themselves could have hoped for such a good result. I mean, uh, they've not beaten... Before Saturday, they hadn't beaten Real Madrid in 16 previous games. Finally, on the 17th try... Uh, they've beaten the champions of Spain. It really was a great performance, but uh, I can't pretend I saw it come in and I don't think anyone else did. You're right. I don't think anyone expected it, but that's what they've done with Choco Lozano getting the only goal of the game in the first half that the Wayside dominated. And it's a massive deal. Just how big is this for the club? Yeah, absolutely. Make no mistake about it. This result is huge for Cadiz, not just the club, but the city as well. Uh, It's been 14 years since the club was last in La Liga, 2006, and for in their first season back to have already beaten the champions is just such a huge result. And as I've explained in my latest piece for La Liga Lowdown, this city is, the city and the club, they're used to struggle. This is not the kind of result that uh, Cadistas are used to at all. 
Uh, they've had little success, in fact, uh, since the 80s, really. They sort of the era of, of uh, Magico Gonzalez, where they spent a number of years in the top flight uh, to kind of establish themselves as a mid-table club. But since then, they've not really had much success. Uh, they've been down to the third tier in recent years. And it was only the last couple of years they had a bit of a resurgence, got back up to Segunda, uh, and now obviously they're back in La Liga. So this result is is really the fruit of uh, many years of hard labour from from the players, from the staff, in particular the manager, Alvaro Severa. Um, it's just a really, really big result. I just do keep thinking of how it's a shame, though, that there weren't a couple of thousand travelling fans in the Bernabeu for this. How crazy would that have been? Yeah, it, it is a real shame that there weren't any Cadiz fans uh, present at the game because unlike a lot of Spanish clubs, uh, Cadiz are well known for having an excellent uh, travelling support as well as a home support. Their supporters are known to be boisterous, loud, uh, quite creative with uh, TIFOs and displays. And they're also known for their unique uh, sense of humour and uh, mickey-taking ability. And that's something that is is linked with the with the kind of psyche as the city as a whole. Obviously, the Cadiz Carnival is, is known around the world for its satire and irony. And uh, it just makes for a really unique uh, atmosphere on match days, whether the fans are at home in Cadiz or, uh, or on the road. So, yeah, I think it would have been... Um, uh, it would have been. It would have lived long in the memory had a had a couple of thousand fans been at the game. But as is the current situation, it wasn't to be. Looking deeper at the game, this wasn't a lucky win, was it? Yeah, it wasn't a lucky win by any stretch of the imagination. The headlines are going to be about Real Madrid uh, losing this game, but Cadiz really deserved it. And they put in a great performance. And to be quite honest, they could have had more goals. Um, Alvaro Negredo had an effort cleared off the line by Sergio Ramos. Uh, Cala had a long-range shot, well saved by Courtois. Uh, and uh, Lozano also had a great chance just for half-time to double the lead, which was also saved. Uh, if you're just looking at the stats as well, they, they created 12 really they created twelve chances. Uh, they had nine shots, five of which were on target. They forced Courtois into three solid saves. Um, they just put in a really solid performance and even if they did only have um, not much possession it was it was uh, they made the most of what they had and looking at the goal itself um, Negredo headed it down really well from a diagonal onto Lozano and the finish was coolness personified as he uh, dinked the ball over Courtois so yeah it was a really uh, accomplished performance from Cadiz like you said, let's not take anything away from Cadiz. I'm very much in that mindset today. But Real Madrid were sluggish. They were lethargic in this one. You can't escape that. What do you put that down to? The international break, the infamous FIFA virus? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, Real Madrid looked a shadow of their normal selves. And they, they looked sluggish, but I don't think that the international break is a fair excuse, With to be honest with you. Um they do have a history of not performing too well after the international break, but the kind of things that went wrong, say it looked more like uh, moments of switching off, players switching off. For example, for the goal, Ramos was out of position. He let Lozano get away from him. Um, it just was a really disjointed performance. And to be fair to Real Madrid, the second half, they did look like they were more at the races. Uh, Benzema was really unlucky when his effort crashed off the crossbar. But I don't think any Real Madrid fan could argue they really deserve much out of the game. Um, and if they're going to uh, try and 
retain their title this season. They're going to have to do a lot better in in these uh, tough games, particularly after uh, international breaks or after Champions League games, where they just need to grind out a result because it really wasn't good. Finally, looking at Cadiz's results so far, they've won 2-0 away at Huesca with 29% possession, 1-0 away at Athletic Club with 27% possession, and 1-0 away at Real Madrid with 25% possession. How are they doing this? It may sound like a cliche, but I think the the key to uh, Cadiz's form at the minute is is really togetherness. Um, I think Alvaro Severa, the coach, he's been key to this. He's He's, uh, he's done well not to follow uh, what promoted teams often do, which is to, um, to kind of get rid of the, the players that got them up to the first division in the first place. So they've got like a nice core of players such as Mari and Salvi Sanchez who have been with the club from the third tier and now they're starting against Real Madrid in La Liga. They've got uh, exciting, fast players like Chucky Lozano. They've got a skillful ball um, ball-playing midfielders like Alex Fernandez, and they've also recruited well in the summer. They've brought in Alvaro Negredo, really experienced striker, um, and I think that's part of the reason why they're able to win these games with um, often only having like a small amounts of possession, twenty-five percent uh, against Real. Um, they do defend in a compact unit. They're not a defensive team, but uh, last season they did have a a tendency to defend and then counter from there. So I think that approach and also the personnel they've brought in and retained is really key to their um, performances so far. Thanks, Alex. And a reminder to head over to LaLigaLowdown.com to read Alex's in-depth article on Cadiz. I really recommend it. Now, let's discuss the second of the giant killings, it was Hitafi 1, Barcelona 0. And this is a weird sort of David beating Goliath situation because David is the bigger and stronger and more physical one in this scenario. But still, Barcelona would still have been favourites for this one but lost a Jaime Mata penalty. To discuss this, let's go to Roman de Arquer. Now, Roman, you're a Barcelona fan. Looking back on this result and this Barca performance, what's your biggest concern with it? For me, the biggest problem was Dembélé. I mean, on the field, he was just terrible. He can't be playing in a team like Barcelona with such a performance like the one we saw. I mean, it's true, uh, he's been injured, he hasn't played a competitive match in a long time, except for those minutes he got against Villarreal. But still, I mean, you can't lose the ball 14 times in the first half, you know? That's just quite disgraceful if you're playing in a team such as Barcelona. And it's not just the, the fact that he lost the ball, but also his controls were terrible when he had the ball and managed to, to drive it forward. He would just... Make very bad decisions with it and I think overall he really affected uh, Barcelona's performance in a negative way. Now let's praise Hitafi because I love this team. I actually do love watching them. So what was it that Hitafi did to frustrate Barcelona? You know, Getafe did what they do best. Um, they're a very tough, tough team to play against. And it's not just about how well they defend and how aggressive they are, but it's also how they get into your head, either verbally or either by exaggerating a foul or, you know, um, going towards a referee in, as a team and, and putting pressure on him. You know, they do this really well and it, and it works for them. And um, I think it wasn't just this, though, that bothered Barcelona. I think it was more the referee because there were some calls um, that Barcelona should have 
got in their favor or they consider they should have got um, like that elbow from Cavaco to Pedri or that elbow from Neon to Leo Messi because if you think about that game against Celta where Lenglet uh, got sent off with that second yellow card for a similar elbow to Denis Suarez then of course you know they get uh, annoyed by these uh, decisions the ref makes and that really didn't help uh, at all. You mentioned him there. Alan Neom in particular frustrated a few people, especially Ronald Koeman. What happened there between Neom and the Barcelona coach? It's a good follow-up question because speaking of Getafe's attitude, I think in this case scenario, Neom is the star of the show. Uh, Ajax experienced it last season. Uh, recently, Osasuna had their ups and downs with uh, also Neom. And as a matter of fact, a Spanish TV show, El Dia Después, followed Neom with a camera during that game, uh, showing everything he was he was doing. And it's quite a document to see, which you can find on YouTube. And in this game against Barcelona, apparently he went a bit too far uh, with Kuman, or at least that's what the Dutch manager says. Apparently he told him hijo de which translates as son of a and you know what comes next and of course Kuman after that was really annoyed he went to talk to Bordalas personally and he told him that uh, Neom's attitude was way out of line that he should keep his player you know under control and Bordalas answered by saying that he thought it was really weird that uh, Neom would have said that to him so we don't really know the truth no um, public apology came up so if what Kuman says is right then that was really um, very poor from uh, Neom. Finally, let's talk about Mark Cucurella. How does it feel as a Barcelona fan to watch him play so well for another team in La Liga? I'm happy for him, you know. I mean, I think he really fits well into this team. Uh, the way he plays and the, how intense he is really allows him to shine at Getafe. And I think that's, that's a great positive for him. And from there on, he can keep growing as a player and play in better teams and maybe return to Barcelona. Who knows? Of course, he could be useful uh, to the team. Of course, he could be an interesting piece. But maybe um, going through Getafe was a necessary step. And maybe if he hadn't uh, gone to Getafe and he'd gone straight to Barcelona, he wouldn't be performing at this level. But it is a, an example of how Barcelona in recent years hasn't really treated uh, the youth system that well and hasn't really uh, promoted those players, uh, which they are trying to do now in, in this season and towards the end of last season. But it hasn't been something that Barca has shined with uh, in recent years. So thanks to Alex and Roman for giving us the lowdown on those two giant killings. All four of the Champions League teams were in action on Saturday and... Actually, only one of them won their match. Sevilla lost to Granada and we'll discuss that in depth in part two. So that left Atletico Madrid as the only top four side to win as they won 2-0 at Celta Vigo. But that scoreline flatters them. It was a lot tougher than that and Jan Oblak needed to be brilliant once again. But they got the three points, so well done to them. Now, there are two teams still looking for their first win of the La Liga season and they are Huesca and Real Valladolid. They played each other this weekend in a head-to-head, bottom-of-the-table scrap. It was a really good game, actually, so it's our sore throat game of the week, the match where we bring you the best commentary clips of the weekend. Here's Sam Leverage to do just that. Neither Huesca nor Real Valladolid had won yet this season, but when they came to meet, it was a thrilling game, and it was Real Valladolid who took the lead, Bruno scoring a header, and then Waldo scoring a penalty to give them what seemed like an unbeatable lead. Marca Waldo el segundo, el Valladolid pone tierra de por medio en el 6 de juego de la segunda parte. Sociedad Deportiva Huesca 0, Real Valladolid 2. 
And as we heard from Andesero there, it gave Real Valladolid a two-goal lead, a brilliant penalty from Waldo, and it meant that they had one foot on the way to victory, but it didn't last. There were just nine touches from the very kickoff after that penalty before Huesca had pulled one back. Tiempo de juego on Cope there, saying hay partido, there's a game on, all of a sudden it was back in the balance. And Sandro Ramirez came on for his debut for Huesca up against his former club, the clubs on loan on last season, Real Valladolid. And he said nine touches was way too many. So four minutes after Rafa Mir had brought one back, he pounced, a great header in the box, Roberto Jimenez saved it, and Sandro was there to bury an equaliser with his very first touch for Huesca. It could only happen in football, as Cadena said, said there. And despite having scored two goals in four minutes, the same they'd scored in their previous five games, Huesca couldn't quite find a winner. So no long-awaited victory for either Huesca or Real Valladolid, and it was a point apiece for the relegation fighters. Thanks, Sam. I do love that commentary there. It could only happen in football, they say, of a footballer scoring a goal. Well, at least they're not wrong. Anyway, that's all we have time for in part one. But stay tuned. Part two is coming up after this short break. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello everyone and welcome back to this episode of La Liga Lowdown. We're going to kick off part two 
by talking about the regional rivalry match between Villarreal and Valencia that was played on Sunday. It was extra special this time around given that Valencia basically gifted Danny Parejo and Francis Coquelin to Villarreal in the summer and it was Parejo who got the winner in the Yellow Submarines 2-1 victory. Paco Pollitt, our resident Valencia fan who's also an expert on all things Villarreal, he was all over this one. Paco, just how inevitable was it that Danny Parejo would score the winning goal given all the narrative surrounding him? I believe we should also add a tiny bit of responsibility to Diakabi's foot as the ball got slightly deflected by him and made an arc impossible to save for Jaume Domenech. But yes, it was a given that Dani Parejo would have a crucial role in the first official showdown against his former team. And by the way, he was brilliant, possibly his best individual performance to date as a Villarreal player, which he capped off with a great strike from outside the box, which gave his side the three points. So yeah, Karma had been planning for this for quite a while. But Parejo wasn't the only former Valencia player in this Villarreal side. How weird was it for you to watch this derby where so many former Valencia players were wearing yellow? You know, the feeling was very, very weird. We're talking about Parejo playing in the midfield, Paco Alcácer scoring the opener from the penalty spot after having been one of the most beloved players coming fresh off from Valencia's Youth Academy. We later saw Francis Coquelin coming back from his injury and being quite solid in the final stretch of the game. Um, yeah, it was very, very weird, especially as most of those transfers, at least in Parejos and Coquelin's case, were done for peanuts. You know, Valencia only got a small fee for them. You've touched on it there, so let's get into how would you describe the current situations of these two clubs? I'd say they're two worlds apart by many, many galaxies, and... Everything, in my view, starts with the board and the planning of the season. Who has the best plan? Who actually has a plan? What did Villarreal want to achieve this summer? They wanted to strengthen the squad with big names and it happened exactly that. So they succeeded all along. What did Valencia try to achieve this summer? Nobody knows. They sold eight big players, Ferran, Coquelin, Parejo, Rodrigo, and later they brought in None. They tricked the new manager and they lost his confidence. The manager, by the way, he wanted to leave a few days ago. Javi Gracia remains because he isn't able to pay the 3 million euros of his release clause. Condoglia missed this game. Under dubious conditions, with a strange injury in his heel, hours after publicly slamming President Anil Murthy and saying he was betrayed by him. So, to sum it up, I'd say the place in the table perfectly sums up how well organized one of the teams is and the levels of absolute chaos that have already become a daily routine in Valencia. Finally, Paco, this is the first time you've been on the podcast since the passing of Espanieta. Can you explain just who he was and what Valencia did to remember him before this match? Yeah, of course, I can explain it. Um, Bernardo España, Españeta, was a legend not only for Valencia, but possibly one of the most beloved football icons in the whole country. He wasn't just a kitman. 
We are talking about 55 years serving in Valencia in a number of roles, starting as a ball boy in his youth and after suffering a motorbike crash, which didn't allow him to play competitive football, he became a member of the staff and the club's kitman for many, many years. He was very close friends with many legends such as Mario Alberto Kempes or Ricardo Arias. He was absolutely adored by younger stars years later like Piojo Lopez, for example, David Villa, David Silva. He later retired in 2016 after one of the most wonderful traditions had been taking place for many years. During the team's presentation game every summer, Trofeo Naranja, Españeta was always the last person to receive the standing ovation of the crowd. That was happening for almost two decades. So that sums up the relevance and how beloved Espaneta was by the fan base. His passing away has been one of the worst news hands down this year for every Valencianista and he will be deeply, deeply missed. Absolutely. Everyone at La Liga Lowdown, of course, sends our condolences to his family. Thank you, Paco Den. Let's move on and discuss some of the other results from around La Liga this weekend. The other two Valencian community teams were involved in 2 0 results in the Basque Country, but very different ones. Levante went away to Athletic Club and lost 2 0 to goals from new signing Alex Berenguer and from Iñaki Williams. A big result for the team in Bilbao. They'd had a tough time, a tough start to the new season. Then in Vitoria, Elche did return home with a positive result as they beat Alaves 2 0 thanks to Perry Mia and Teddy Morenti goals. A great result for the newly promoted side. Obviously not a good one for Alaves and that hot seat underneath Pablo Machines behind gets a little hotter once again. The other match that took place in the Basque Country saw Ibar host Osasuna and they played out a 0-0 draw in the game where Ibar played better overall but Osasuna created the clearer chances. Nobody could score though, something of a theme in this La Liga weekend that only had 19 total goals across the 10 matches. Three of them came as Real Betis took on Real Sociedad with La Real, the visiting team, winning 3-0 to go top of La Liga. They were slightly fortunate that an offside decision and a penalty decision went against Betis when the score was still just 1-0, but Real Sociedad capitalised to win and to become the sixth different leader this season. For the first time ever in La Liga's history, 90 years of La Liga history, we've had six different leaders at the end of the first six match days. We've had Valencia, Granada, Betis, Hitafi, Real Madrid and now Real Sociedad. They've each led a match day so far this season. So who'll be top next time out? Now, to finish this week's episode, let's focus on just how great Granada are. And let's do so with Granada resident and fan of the team, Keith Chesters. Heath, it's another win for your side, this time a 1-0 victory against 10-man Sevilla. Can you explain to us just how these kinds of regional rivalries against the Seville teams, how much they mean for the fans in Granada and how important this particular win was? Well, it's definitely a big, big result for Granada. Uh, three points against a, a superb Sevilla team who beat Granada twice last season and finishing in the top four. So uh, anytime you can beat a, a side of that calibre, uh, it's definitely cause for celebration. And as for the local rivalry, uh, certainly Betis and Sevilla is the big one in Andalusia, but there are lots of other interesting local rivalries given the, the teams 
with great histories down here as well. So usually the Granada-Sevilla rivalry is a very healthy one, certainly amongst the fans. Uh, there's usually a great atmosphere outside the grounds as uh, both sets of fans mingle, share stories and a few beers, uh, trade a few chants and songs. And it's a shame that that's not possible at the moment. Uh, hopefully this pandemic will end at some point and we can get back to enjoying the atmosphere of, of regional derbies in Andalusia because they're always spectacular games uh, to be in and around. Yeah, that is a shame and let's hope we can get fans back in the stadium soon, which we actually saw at some Segunda B grounds around Spain this weekend, which was definitely nice. Going back to this Granada win, Heath, just how much was the game conditioned by the Joan Jordan red card just before half time? This was uh, certainly a game that didn't lack for a little bit of uh, feistiness, if we can put it that way. Uh, there were, I think there's some juicy tackles and challenges flying in from all directions. Uh, there was no love lost on the pitch, even if afterwards they were probably shaking hands and patting each other on the back. Um, but as for the, the Jordan sending off, it, it was stupidness on his part. Uh, insofar as how it conditioned the game, there's no denying you know, it changed the game plan for, for Sevilla. Um, but even with 10 men, they're still an exceptionally dangerous side packed with quality players. So Granada had to keep chipping away and chipping away and chipping away. And that's what they did in the second half against the 10 men. Um, thankfully, the goal from Yangel Herrera came and we got the three points. Let's talk about Yangel Herrera then, the match winner. Five goals already this season. How has he evolved positionally? and as a player since he arrived at the start of last season? Well, I think Yangel Herrera has been absolutely fantastic already this season. Um, obviously, he got the winning goal against Sevilla, um, but it shows what a, a key player he is for Granada. Uh, last season, he was absolutely fantastic. Um, positionally, he's evolved more from being a deeper player uh, to, to getting forward more. Uh, he's looking a bit more like a, a number 10. Uh, playing more of a, an attacking midfield role um, and that's certainly welcome for his contribution for goals this season um, whether it's with his head or with his feet he's certainly a player who's, who's got a keen eye for goals so Granada are making the most of that Finally Heath the Europa League proper starts this week and it's a bit of a glamour tie for Granada as they go away to PSV Eindhoven a very nice fixture for them what's the mood like in the city as this European campaign their first ever gets underway well getting to play PSV Eindhoven in the group stage of the Europa League is something that no Granada fan probably could have imagined happening a few years ago um, but they're here uh, and they're absolutely loving the, the, the possibility of, of enjoying a European run this year. Um, one thing that's been interesting to see throughout the qualifying rounds is a lot of Granada fans posting images of a match that took place in February 2006. And, and that was actually the first match I ever went to, to watch Granada. And it was an away match in the Tercera Division against Loja, um, which is a town within Granada province, uh, which is about 10 minutes up the road from where I live. Uh, it was a miserable, wet February day. It was played on one of the gravel pitches that you still see around uh, in Spain, and Granada lost. And it was probably the lowest point 
in this club's history um, because the club had been flirting with going out of business. They'd been administratively relegated um, a year before and nobody had imagined Granada sinking to such a low level. Um, the club was lucky to stay alive and, and over the last 15 years they've, they've climbed all the way back up to the top flight. Uh, last season was a fantastic record season. Um, what Diego Martinez and the coaching team and the squad achieved and their message has been this is something to enjoy uh, the Granada fans I think realise uh, that it's perhaps something they might not get to enjoy again so while they're here uh, they're certainly going to enjoy the time in the Europa League um, and playing PSV Eindhoven in the opening game you couldn't really ask for a better start against such a, a historic club uh, in Dutch football so fingers crossed uh, Granada will start with a win um, and let's see how far we can go Well that brings us to the end of this match day recap and I want to thank everyone who took part in this episode thanks to Heath Chesters and we all hope you enjoyed that Europa League game this midweek special times there in Granada for sure thanks also to Alex Brotherton, to Roman de Arquer, to Paco Pollitt and to Sam Leverage. I've been your host, June McTeer, and I thank you very much for listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 